opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up, no matter if the prize is high in the skies. Peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century legalized slavery. Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas, with new abolitionist and actionist Johanna Nalaya and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is the June 14, 2017 broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio, our 60th live broadcast, five years of making freedom great again on a black-owned network with black voices. We may not be the first, the best, the oldest, the most popular, the best funded, or the most organized abolitionist group there ever was, but there is not a soul on earth who can deny our widespread positive social impact within this fight without telling a bold-faced lie. Like my sister, the world-renowned poet Queen Sheba says, if you aren't applauding, you're hating. Check yourself. In this place, till this time, we stayed on point. We did our research, honored our ancestors, and inspired those who will be future ancestors. We've helped to build a multimedia institution with global impact called the Black Talk Radio Network and greatly contributed to the to empowering the emergence of a revolutionary new abolitionist movement. We're not here to play games gain fame, or get paid. Our goal is to see an end to modern legalized slavery and garner freedom for millions unjustly incarcerated in a system of legalized slavery. God willing, when we're finished here in this generation with this issue, we'll be hanging our hats up because the job got done and people got their freedom. A big salute and anniversary to NAR and everyone involved in its eventful history. The hosts, guests, listeners, and supporters. This thing is much bigger than just any one of us. With that being said, on this day in history, 1811, abolitionist poet and author Harriet Beecher Stowe was born. She believed the only reason anyone could not be against slavery was being ignorant of how abhorrent the practice was. She began to envision a novel that would open the eyes of Americans who had never been exposed to the horrors of slavery. Imagine what we're talking about in the time, and she's talking about people that had never been exposed. What stories will we cover tonight? As many as we can. The stories change, the narrative doesn't. 
Be sure to follow us on New Abolitionist Radio on Facebook so you can stay abreast. Our abolitionist in profile, unless uh, Scotty has someone else, is Harriet Beecher Stowe. Our writer of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Jerry Hartfield, who spent 35 years in prison without ever receiving a conviction. In the segment, For Freedom's Sake, A History of Rebellion, we will be remembering the September 9th 2016 National Prison Slave Labor Work Strike launched on the 45th anniversary of the Attica Prison Uprising. It encompassed as many as 24 states and tens of thousands of prisoners and is currently the largest organized slave rebellion by the numbers in U.S. history. If you have a question or comment, you can call us toll-free 1-866-510-9025. You can chat with us and others by logging in at uberconference.com slash network. Once again, I'm Max Parthas. Happy anniversary, Scotty. What's up, then, brother? Hello, Max, and hello to the audience. Happy fifth anniversary. Uh, it's been a couple of days past anniversary, but... What Yesterday. That, yeah, what does that five years mean to me? That five years shows me commitment. That's what it shows me from all the hosts that... They have been involved. Uh, special shout out to Legacy Leonard, rest in power, sister, uh, who was there at, at the at the uh, beginning of this program. And so I'm just really excited, man, at looking back at what we've accomplished, man, and also empowering others with information to go out there and make a difference. And certainly over the years, we have, have seen that. And especially, Max, you and I are in our 50s. And so, you know, it's inspiring to, like, have on our guest from last week. Sister, how you pronounce her last name? Aziz or, or Aziz? Aziz. Aziz. And, and yes. you know, these are people who are 15, 20, 25 years younger than, our, than we are. So it's good to know that if, Max, something happened tomorrow... I know that it, it the abolitionist work will continue until the goal is met, and that is to abolish slavery, legalize slavery. We're against all forms of slavery. Um, we do, I would say for myself, uh, agree with the language of the UN Human Rights Declaration of Human Rights. What it says, it says all forms of slavery are forever abolished, including in ver- voluntary servitude, I think it says, but all forms and it recognizes those different forms. So, you know, it is it's one thing to put that on paper, it's another thing to to make it happen. And I think over the course of 150 years that we are closer than ever. Obviously, than any abolitionists before us because many of those before us, the 13th Amendment and its fraudulent language uh with the exception clause for slavery and involuntary servitude didn't exist. But we know after some had time to analyze it a year or two after the passage that they they recognized it for the piece of fraud that it is. So uh, it's just been a pleasure uh, working with you, Max. You have been the most consistent co-host, you know, and producer of this program over those five years. Johanna joined us later. Um, Erica X, um, yeah, big shout out to her. Um, she was uh, really on fire, man, on this issue, but that's her personality anyway. Um, you know, so it's just been uh, it's just been great working on this project, and I just hope 
I, I do not hope for many more years to come because then that means that we're still needed to put the abolitionist message out there and that means that the job hadn't been completed so I hope this our last year having to be on the radio uh, talking about legalized slavery and human trafficking Max yes indeed Scotty I'm with you uh, I, I want nothing more than not to have to do this show <laughs> like really <laughs> I mean because it means so much that I wouldn't be doing it it means that slavery's ended that we don't need to convince nobody no more we don't need to have to show you how do certain things or offer different uh, pieces of information for, to inspire people to get up and fight because it's done. That that would make me real happy. You know what I mean? I'm not interested in uh, you know having a career at this. I'm here for a purpose, and it has been wonderful to witness this uh, rising phenomenon over the last five years. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say that we personally inspired all of the stuff that was going on but we damn sure gave our share of attention and made sure it got out there in a way that had not really been seen prior to that you know just looking at the divestment programs i was listing them today on new abolitionist radio you're talking about yale you're talking about harvard you're talking about princeton you're talking about the university of california you're talking about University of Alabama, all across the country, starting with Columbia University, students got up and did something. They got their universities to divest from uh, stocks which they owned in the construction of private prisons, which was basically a conflict of interest to begin with. You can't retire based on how many of your students potentially end up in prison. It makes no damn sense. So that was incredibly inspiring to witness that occur in such a large scale. And also the prison labor work strike, which we'll talk about later tonight, too, that was uh, phenomenal. I mean, the largest slave rebellion in the history of this country, right here in our lifetime, it happened. Well, we witnessed the whole thing. We've had the organizers come in, tell us what was going on. We saw how much money was being lost. We saw all the jobs that could no longer be done, whether they were just taking care of the jails and the prisons or working for Whole Foods or some other place. All of that came to a screeching halt, and it cost tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions from the economy, and showed just how deeply embedded free labor is into our systems. So those are just a couple of things, man. And of course, watching the crash of the stocks dude it was like you know watching a, a gladiator fight or something like that or you know a super bowl like look at these stocks just dropping i was so excited i had to make a video celebrating it the next day back in uh you know august 18th of 16 when that occurred and um personally on a personal level it really was inspiring for me to know that i had some kind of hand in the drafting of legislation or at least the inspiration of the drafting of legislation due to my direct lobbying on the with the Sanders campaign. And, you know, just right, right in their faces all the time. And eventually they came out with the Justice is Not for Sale Act, which was literally the first legislation since pre-1865, which addressed the buying and selling of human beings. So they're just some of the things, man, over five years, things that are real, that are going to be around a while, that you're not going to forget, that did something, you know? Yeah, and I'm also um, just remembering, as you brought it up, um, the largest prison slave rebellion, prison slavery rebellion, or slavery rebellion, however you want to term term it, uh, in history, and that being reported right here on this network live 
on using this digital uh, medium that many abolitionists, they, they were working with the printing press back in the 1800s and 1700s and word of mouth. And so with these tools, the number of people we've been able to reach worldwide, you know, it, it would be a shame if we didn't take advantage of them. And to be able to link up with people actually in the conditions that we're talking about who are actual victims of modern-day slavery and human trafficking and, and get their um, reports from the inside, I mean, I don't think now I know other media outlets do that. And, you know, because uh, some of the uh, activists, uh, abolitionists on the inside have been punished for that, for calling in. Um, mm-hmm. You know, talking to the media and whatnot on on authorized on unauthorized, you know what they call contraband, but phones. Um, but we need that information. It's worth the risk because some people won't believe it unless you show them pictures of the mold on the walls and the inhumane conditions on the inside and and how people are being treated and how they look after they've been beat it, beaten. You know, and so. I mean, even from a media standpoint, as a media professional, um, you know, we made some groundbreaking history, not just in the abolitionist, you know, uh, movement, but also in this industry with our ability to connect those on the inside with the outside world. As a matter of fact, you have a a pretty decent title right now with the Black Talk Radio Network, uh, largest what is it the largest multimedia black owned network in the country? Largest in the world, indep- independent. But largest e- even independent. the largest ones don't have as much content as what you'll find on, on Black Talk Radio. Indeed, so brother, yeah, see, large, those archives large. are something that's gonna be around for generations to come. Well, know, as long as we can here. keep paying the bills and, and making sure the platform stays funk uh up, you know. So Yes. And, you know, we've given out a lot of information and a lot of insightful suggestions that have borne real fruit. An example would be uh, when we really started going in on how the prison industry wasn't a self-enclosed system by itself, just the jails and the the prisons. But there was these other industries that were feeding off of it just as large, like the private for profit probation companies. You know what I mean? And when we started seeing these different industries, which were leeching off of these human beings in ways that were unimaginable, uh, going at us, and maybe we should start applying RICO charges to yeah, uh, that, you know these really industries. That, Man, in less than yeah. a year, it started hitting. <laughs> right, right. So yeah, I don't know if we predicted it or inspired it, but it happened. You well, know Max, what I mean? Considering and, cons- uh, considering that hmm? this is a specific topic that nobody's really. This program solely focuses on modern slavery and human trafficking, okay? We don't focus on anything else. All the other programs, they have various topics and various guests on different issues. But the only issue we focus on, so when people go to the web and they do searches on the issue of prison slavery, modern slavery, even if they put in that term we don't like, mass incarceration, chances are they're going to come across some content that we have produced. Again, five years worth of content on the online. So, right. I don't believe in coincidences. I just believe in, you know, just just speaking, speaking words. You never know who's listening that may have the power to bring those words 
those strategies we talked about into fruition and we saw the result we did that started with the ferguson report from the fbi who said that they broke federal laws so the question then became well what federal laws fbi department of justice did the city of ferguson and the police department break you never named them so that led us to start speculating oh what could we charge them with that's a federal law and that's when we we concluded that RICO charges would apply to much of what they're doing on a local level. Uh, um, I would even say on on all levels, federal government as well as state governments and then little city municipalities, the county level, you know, that's what they're doing. They're engaged in an organized crime against humanity. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's a nasty business where, you know, you can be a good person and be in this system and still be helping to support modern day slavery with every hour that goes by of your career. It's just, it's just a shame to see how embedded it is in everything that we do. And people are so compartmentalized, compartmentalized with their thinking of their own vision of what they see that they don't see the bigger picture so often. I mean, literally when the, uh, story broke about Marissa Alexander and she was going through her case where they were trying to get her through that plea bargain you know and she was facing years in prison for firing a warning shot when she was about to be assaulted in any case we had the attorneys on air and none of them knew about the 13th amendment and that started making us think you know what a lot of these intellectuals don't know anything about the 13th amendment we're talking about historians that don't know it and there's an exception in there we're talking about you know people who have spent their entire lives in law enforcement and as judges who have no clue that the 13th Amendment had an exception clause until it got pointed out to them recently. Thank God for the documentary by Ava DuVernay. Another thing we witnessed unfold here where that really brought the, the uh, item to light where people had to start examining it all across the country in every university, in college, in every corner, everywhere they were doing it, people were talking about it. Yeah, again, a media, Malcolm was right, and he is what he is the person who inspired uh, Black Talk Media Project with his commentary on media being the most powerful entity on the face of the planet because it can control the minds of the masses, make the innocent look guilty, and the guilty look innocent, and that's power, and you need media in order to produce programs that's going to push the propaganda that you need to put out there. And I don't mean propaganda always in a negative sense. I use that term generally sometimes. Um, um, so, yeah, man, uh, it's just really a lot <laughs> that's going through my mind like right now. Uh, but we did ask for callers. Um, yeah, I, I yeah. Asked as a matter of fact, I, I got a couple that's calling in uh, to, a little while as well. My son and, of course, Tribal Rain both want to say hello to everybody. Yes, well, we so have we'll a caller. Bring him in at one point. We have a caller on the line who wants to chime in, and I believe this is Brother Davis, who is a host, a co-host on Wednesdays of Tando Radio Show. Brother Davis, did you want to share something with us tonight? Absolutely, brothers. I'm going to tell you, man, I think that we fail to realize that it's through Black Talk Radio that people begin to realize the tentacles of company like uh, a geo group and how they're exporting this uh, pattern of prisons around the world. Because literally, they're incorporating other corporations 
that, like the telecommunications, that what they charge prisoners to just call home. Those things that we see as being very minor have literally been a booming business for another avenue uh, connected with this prison industrial complex. And I salute you, brothers, for your dedication and putting the truth on the dinner table because most people are not savvy enough to even consider the, all of the tentacles that this geo group. So when I see that these prisons today and how they're operating, it is nothing like we thought they did when we were coming up. This is a different time. And that new bill, that H.R. 2437, which I spoke about on the, tonight's Tando show, that's even more of a influence on how they want to control and give the slave uh, hunters the right to kill indiscriminately. And I think through Tando Radio, Black Talk Radio, and this specific show right here, we can give them the understanding that regardless of what goes on, we got to find the areas in which we can do something and focus on them. So I salute you, brothers, for that. I just wanted to add that. All right. Thank you, Brother Davis, man, indeed. As a truth bringer yourself, that means a lot to me. You right, know, and you hit right. the nail in on the, the head. In the We're name. not bringing anything new to the table. We're just bringing the truth to the table. The truth defends itself. The truth proves itself. All you need to do is get it in your hands, and we have been doing that, putting it into people's hands to work with. The name of the bill that uh, Brother David spoke about on Tando Radio Show is something I also reported on in a BTR News report about. It's called, if you just Google, Back the Blue Act 2017. Back the Blue, as in, quote-unquote, Blue Lives Matter, Back the Blue Act 2017. And so that that bill, uh, he accurately described it earlier on the network as it will basically give uh, police officers, law enforcement, period, uh, just carte blanche to just get away with justify every killing that they do and and to prohibit people from being able like the families later might sue. You then took the sole breadwinner out of our family. He had these children or she had these children and it was a, a wrongful stop and it wasn't, you know, by common sense, not justified, but uh, we know how the system works and they will rule these shootings justified or DA will refuse to charge them. Well, the avenue that would be left to families outside of violence would be to sue them for wrongful death. So this would seriously hamper even a family member's ability to uh, 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 seek um, compensation for that loved one. I didn't want to say justice because it's not justice, um, but compensation for the loss of that energy that has been taken from that family. So it is a very important bill that people should read up on, and it is another tool for, for modern-day slave trafficking. I kind of expected things to come like that because we really like in, we're in a war, you know what I mean? And they feel because you got to try to put yourself in their mindset to some degree that they feel that like they're under attack. Suddenly, all of these cops are being charged and prosecuted for things that they would just do on a normal day any other time, and all of a sudden, everybody's up in arms. They're tired of the killings. There's a video of somebody being murdered every three seconds, and on and on and on, and they feel under siege. So uh, they feel like they're doing this to protect their brothers to which and sisters to which they have the utmost loyalty as uh, fraternity members. 
So this and more can be expected. The same thing can be expected from the prison industry itself. It's not going to sit there and die because we got mad at it. You know what I mean? We saw what happened with the Trump campaign. Uh, as soon, the day after the stocks dropped on August 18th of 2016, the GEO group took it upon themselves to break the law and go and invest 200 and some odd thousand dollars into the Trump campaign immediately. And guess what happened after that? On the day that Trump was elected, all the stocks on Wall Street were going down except for one stock, and that was the prison stocks, which have since seen more than 100% increase in value. Yeah, it, it, hey. it's a shame, Max, but I mean, there's just so many stories that we have reported on over the years. I mean, we could have like a, a room full of files, you know, file drawers, uh, and, and I mean, just a room full. That's how much, how many stories, that's how prevalent uh, the abuses of human trafficking is in this country, and it's it's, it's shameful, man. I don't see how anybody, like, you know, could be proud of this. You're number one. Everybody likes to talk about the USA as number one, but they never talk about they number one in incarcerating their own population and making and producing a, a profit off of human bodies. They're number one in that. Claim that. Indeed, man. Indeed. So the narrative has really been getting out there. And I, you know, just so many moments, like you know, witnessing the young woman, young lady out in uh, I think it was Ohio during the uh, Hillary Clinton campaign on national television, telling Hillary Clinton, you know, this is modern day slavery. That's what people are calling it. And what are you going to do about it? Oh my God, you know, I just couldn't well, help. That was smile. one of the primary yeah. um, town halls or debates, right? It was a sister, a black woman. Yes, yes, question. indeed. We have the video of it. I'll yeah, share that, it I mean, I just that right there. I don't, I don't think the average person understands the significance of that woman asking that question. And she may not. I suspect she didn't even write that. She might have wrote mass incarceration down on the paper because you know they try to control everything, including the questions that you're going to ask of one of their puppets or profiteers. And I bet she changed it up. I bet she changed it up to slavery and added that. That is very important. I cannot stress the system knows how important it is, but I wonder how many of the masses know just changing the words, the language. And it's not like you're being deceptive like they are. Like when some of these private prison companies pick their names and call it kitty daycare or something like that. I think that a juvenile detention facility out of Pennsylvania called itself or you know the G I mean excuse me uh, correction corporations of America being forced to change their name to core civic now to try to hide the <laughs> yeah because it got a bad rep of <laughs> what they're engaged in so mm-hmm. it's it is the word is powerful but I don't have to explain that to a spoken word artist word when I came into this game uh when I, when I started day one Scotty with you and I uh, and Erica X, the first thing that I knew was that we had to get two words into the lexicon, slavery and abolition, because abolition is the answer to slavery. If you get one in, you're going to get the other with it. And we worked on that really hard because that was the truth. Mass incarceration is the lie, you know, because they didn't call 
the fugitive slave laws mass incarceration then. That wasn't mass incarceration. They didn't call the transatlantic slave trade mass incarceration. They're calling this mass incarceration. And that's because it leads directly to the 13th Amendment in 1865 and the immediate transfer from chattel slavery and the person, the individual being able to own people to the state taking control of it after the Civil War and changing it into convict leasing, which basically was the exact same thing. But instead of being on a plantation, you were in a prison cell. And it even made matters worse because as Jay Mancini said in his book, the only difference between convict leasing and slavery was with that with uh, criminals or convicts so plentiful, they were seen as disposable. And that's how people became. Because as a slave owner, you had some care for the people underneath you to make sure that they stayed alive, to be able to do the jobs. In these prisons, particularly in the early 1900s and late 1800s, they didn't give a damn if you lived or died. Just as long as you got up and went to that mine every day or to the railroads right, every right, day. Right. Or wherever no it is, they sent you. There was no monetary. Yeah, there was no personal monetary investment. So therefore, if they if if you died, you know, in those mines or on the railroads or wherever they or back on the plantation that you got leased out to, that's why it was called convict leasing. They were leasing human uh, bodies just like you going to a doggone U-Haul place to rent a truck. You know. That that's exactly what it is, and it is it's going on right now, people. I was just reading an article, a local article, um, out of Charlotte, and it was talking about the North Carolina legislatures are talking about getting rid of the prison, you know, uh, litter crews that pick up litter on the side of the of the road in North Carolina, which I had gotten into pretty a heated discussion. I ain't gonna call it an argument. Uh, but a heated discussion with the staffer of U.S. Congressman Patrick McHenry when he tried to tell me a couple of years ago that, oh, that's not really slavery, them picking up litter and things of that nature. And I'm like, that's not all they're doing. So in this article that came out yesterday or the day before yesterday, they the and they're mainly re- Republican, but I'm not a partisan guy, um, but the Republicans want to get rid of the prison uh, slave labor just on the lit on the litter crews because they say if you hire private contractors that you know they could spread out because they're not under the same rules as these these prison slave labor crews where they got to be within eyesight of the overseer uh private you know people out here citizens they could just you know they don't have to be so close to be supervised so that would save them money and I'm like, how would that really say the money when you ain't paying these prisoners nothing? And it said less than 70 cents a day, making about 70 cents a day. So this is probably about eight hours of work for 70 cents. And and so, but the other thing was the article also said prisoners in North Carolina work in 30 different industries from printing, that's like your business cards or T-shirts or whatever you do. They printing up these days. They work in that area. The farms, which I knew because when my little, my youngest brother was uh, 10 years a slave, that's where they had him one time on a turkey farm processing turkeys. 
And and so we reported on that happening all over the country. That's some of some of the industries that prison slave labor is utilized in. So there what what really angered me about the article is that they're concerned about they want to stop this, not because it's slavery. <laughs> no. They want to stop it because they feel like they can save money, even though you ain't paying them but seventy cents a day. And and then what you're paying them from is uh, uh from the article said the profits that they making from the other 30 industries that the prisoners are engaged in. So I'm like, you know, that's just so that just show you where these people's hearts are that, you know, they just trying to say to stay some money and, and, and give a bone to some private contractor and slavery ain't got nothing. It doesn't even figure into. And, and then what what angers me, Max is slavery in the North Carolina Constitution says it was forever abolished. That's what I've been thinking about running the state office. It left its counterpart there, which was um, uh, the um, indentured servitude. Well, they they have that indentured servitude loophole, but Mm -hmm. these guys, because of what Brother Davis was talking about. The services cost so much money. They're not getting good meals, so they try to purchase. They purchase high-priced food that's a little more nutritious from the canteen. And they ain't making buzz. Again, if they work eight hours a day, 70 cents a day. So, so you know, they are volunteering to do that. Just because they're getting paid doesn't mean they're not slaves because we have documented through the history of slavery on this particular continent of how some of the enslaved victims uh, had a particular job skill. It could have been blacksmithing, especially if they were came from West Africa or where they were known as metal workers or whether it was something like a seamstress, one of the abolitionists we profiled where she was a dressmaker and she got a little small portion of the profits from the dresses that that the person enslaving her was making from selling the dresses and was able to buy buy her freedom. So it's still slavery. Now, if they wasn't paying them or, you know, and, and beating them and forcing them, then that's involuntary servitude. I ain't volunteered for this. But this is slavery, so that's why. So again, this is why language is important. This is why reading is important, and more importantly, comprehending what you what you read. Because even though the North Carolina Constitution does say slavery will shall forever be abolished, period. No, no, that's the line right there. That's one line by itself. But if don't nobody know that they violating that part of the constitution here in North Carolina, then the right people can't act. So it's like my mom said to me earlier today, which has been said a million times, our people perish for the lack of knowledge. We don't even know, you know, how to use the tools that are available to us in, uh, uh, when we're talking about nonviolent resistance. Indeed, Scotty. There's a list that I just put on, uh, New Abolitionist Radio. If you're a listener, make sure you follow the page in real time and you'll be able to get a hold of all of these things or at least visit the page, like it, make sure you like it, and uh, check out all the information. But I just put up a list of at least 50 companies uh, that are well-known that use prison slave labor or have used prison slave labor. And from our best of our knowledge, the number is more in the hundreds of international corporations that do so. Some of those include Whole Foods, 
McDonald's, Walmart, Victoria's Secret, AT&T, BP, British Petroleum, Bank of America, Bayer, uh, Caterpillar, Chevron, Chrysler, Costco, John Deere, ExxonMobil, I mean, Kmart, Koch Industries, Merck, Microsoft, Motorola, Nintendo, Pfizer, Procter & Gamble, Pepsi, ConAgra Foods, Shell, Starbucks, UPS, Verizon, and Wendy's. And that's just some of them. And these are all well-known names that are doing things like using prison slave labor to make their uniforms for fast food restaurants or the cup holders that you put your french fries in or even processing the meat or AT&T with call centers built into the prisons. And they've been the doing that since what, Max? The 90s, since hmm? the Clinton administration, they've been doing AT&T. And they did it as a move to shut out unionized labor. So that's why unions... This needs to be a part of your agenda on your platforms. I'm talking to the workers out there, and and we do have allies in what's the name of it? I don't want to get it wrong of the uh, pr- prison labor, incarcerated workers of the world, incarcerated workers of the world. Yeah. They, you, where is the UAW or or you know United Auto Workers? And, and oh, oh, they don't they they don't care about it until prisoners are on the assembly line. Then they'll care. And I don't know that prisoners aren't on a auto assembly line, but I'm just saying there's a reason, even if you, I mean, like you was mentioning Harry Beecher Stowe, you know, if you are, you either for slavery or you against it, it ain't no in between. So, you know, it's a reason for you to get involved, but some people, they only get involved when they see it threatens their personal interests. So, Prison labor is threatening United Workers' jobs. That's a, you know all these jobs have not just been outsourced; they've been insourced as well. So you think it don't affect you, but a lot of them textile jobs, the United States military awarded large textiles. That's your uniforms. That includes your socks. That's everything. You know, to prison companies or corporations that's using prison labor. So tell me that didn't. Uh, take some American jobs. We need to make uh, 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 freedom great again, Max. Make freedom great again. Hey, Scotty, I got somebody who uh, wants to say a few, a few things. Uh, if you can unmute the 2023 number over there. I don't That's see up. that number, but if they hit star star on their phone, it'll unmute them. All right. Um, yeah, just hit star star on the phone there. Okay, we have. And that should unmute you. Caller. Hi, this is Tribal Rain. Hi, Tribal. How you doing, sis? Hi, you, Scotty. I just wanted to tell you guys, happy anniversary. You're doing a wonderful job with getting the word out about the 13th Amendment and having that exception clause removed. And I can't wait until the march comes up in August, the Million for Prisoners March. And I look forward to seeing everybody out there so that we can have that clause removed and we can go ahead and finally be free. Indeed, that is my lovely wife, Tribal Rain. You know, this is a family effort here. We live this, like literally, we go everywhere together and she is my Bonnie to my Clyde, so to speak. (laughs) You know, frontline warrior right there. And uh, for listeners that know me for years and have been listening for the past five years and know me longer, you know, 
past 14 years, my son was in one of these cages. And uh, he's finally been freed, as you've heard in previous episodes. So he's here, too. Uh, I don't know. He might want to say hello as well. There's been a lot of help offered him because of our connections here. And we are so appreciative of that, especially to my brother Yusuf Hassan out in Patterson, New Jersey, who was one of the first people to step up and say, you know what? Let me take this brother out here. He ain't got, you know, nothing happening for him. He ain't got no money. Let me put some money in his pocket. Let me help him try to get his life started and just meet with him and show him some love, you know? That was a beautiful thing. So thanks to Yusuf Hassan. Uh, Justice, are you online? Yeah, I'm online. I want to um, let everybody know on the Abolitionist Radio that I appreciate all your help that you have given my father as well as me because I do need every bit of help as possible. You know, because it is hard out here, especially trying to find a job after coming home for being locked up 14 years. You know, so if anybody out there can assist me in finding a job, I will highly appreciate it. <laughs> He got his priorities set straight, but you know the truth is he's facing a seventy some odd percent recidivism rate. I mean that's a real number that we as parents have to be so concerned with. There's traps everywhere to send him right back, and they're already trying to do that in a variety of ways. And I know a lot of families out there go through what we go through. I just I'm glad that I got to share the blessing that you know uh, of his freedom being here with us, and also my daughter, who you all know went through cancer and she was recently declared declared cancer free so I've had a couple of miracles in my life and we're trying to keep them here right Max Um, and I just want to welcome uh, Justice home Um, and you know we just got so much more work to do because nobody should be put in that position and and you know at any time in in history slave when i hear people try to make excuses for slavery's past and say oh they were men of their times and all well that's to say that there weren't abolitionists when in fact they were so at no time was, was slavery acceptable to 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 moral people you know, and I use that word because, you know, people misuse words all the time. But, you know, also speaking to his request for assistance in, in a job, the system is designed for that recidivism that you just spoke about, Max. And this is wider society. This is small business owners. This is corporations uh, refusing to help people, as Mr. Fuller, Neely Fuller would say, help the people who need help the most. You know, that's what a system of justice would look like when you helping people who need the most help. And so like Barack Obama got much praise for um, his commutations of a, of a few hundred or so. And two of them have been reportedly already back in prison. And I suspect, and that's what me and some other people were discussing about it is, is that unemployment. And not being able to pay that how much ever it is you have to pay for your own parole. For, you know, they have to steal, but you ain't got no job. Well, they ain't even considering that. You know what I'm saying? That nobody will hire, you know, people la- labeled what I, with what I call the felony slave status. So it's real hard. It's real hard. And we've had guests on in the past. Um, there was this one brother who was a former victim of slavery himself but he started a construction company i want to say in texas and i can't call his name we've had so many guests over the past five years but that's all talking he, about Cindy moses that's all he hired 
no, no, not him. Um, that's all he hired was quote unquote felons because he knew how hard it was. So once he built himself up and started his construction company, that's all he would hire, even though he had to pay higher insurance premiums because of the felony slave status. Okay, so that's very important. That's an area that um, a lot of focus needs to be put on, especially among the uh, business community. Yes, a big shout out to Brother Christopher Irving in Baltimore, who really helped drive home the idea of collateral consequences that, you know, we have to deal with once you get that exception applied to you when you're no longer a person, you lose all your rights. And, uh, you know, he pointed out the very many ways that they make this trap so you can go right back in there. That's why it's at 70 percent, you know, and we're dealing with it here with my son. We've already went to places where he had to fill out 45 pages of application where they wanted to know every detail of why he was in prison and uh, all the, the case records and reliving it all after already paying your dues. Uh, and then when they finally got the application, they take him into this place, and he's three hours uh, inside, you know, where he's got to talk to all of these different people. And then he comes home, and he sits by the phone and by the email waiting for them to reply. And they send him a message saying, you didn't reply to our email, so we are no longer considering you for employment. <laughs> like, you didn't even send one. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the stuff we got to deal with. Because when they read it, they go, oh, and you can't express the truth of what the case may be or how it's dealing with. You have to give the literal uh, facts as applied by the court. And we know how these courts word things. Yeah, I think so those, Spirit but, or either Tribal Reign um, has some more comments for us. And then we have someone I'm going to say is Miss Dukes. So uh, all right. uh, we'll go with 2023 first. Did you have something additional you wanted to add? Okay. I don't hear anything. Uh, Miss Dukes, thank you for calling in the new abolitionist radio. Did you want to uh, share something with us? Hello? Yes. If you could speak up Peace. a little. Hi. Peace and welcome to new abolitionist radio. Hi, good evening. This is my first um, time even learning about this radio program. I'm so blessed to have found out about it. Uh, my name is Vivette Duke. My husband, John Dukes, has been incarcerated for 18 years in Sing Sing Correctional Facility. So to have a forum like this with the level of support and realness that is being spewed is so such a blessing right now. You know I'm driving and I'm just like these people get it. Um, and I'm a teacher. I've taught at an all-boys public school in New York City Department of Education. And this school-to-prison pipeline and what you talk about is just so, it's so very real. It's really a systematic disenfranchisement of our people. It's calculated. If our children are not reading on grade level by the third grade, there is a prison cell built for them. This is modern-day slavery. This is a genocide against our people, and it's nothing to be joked with. So not only am I seeing it from the educational standpoint, I live it in my own life, being the wife of an incarcerated. Um, so, Indeed, I think, sister. Um, I, 
I, I thank you for the work that you are doing. Um, I think about my husband coming home, reintegrating into society next next year, and all the obstacles that he would fa- he will face. Um, and we have started an organization called Speak Speak Your Truth because there is a level of shame that is associated with having an incarcerated loved loved one that no one speaks about or very rarely speaks about. So I have ha- I've gone to visit him and seen students of mine in the visiting prison you know prison vis- visiting room and it's like a look of shock like you got somebody locked up too? Yeah. There's children with parents who are incarcerated that no one knows about. Wives with husbands incarcerated that, you know, it's like he doesn't exist because of the shame. Society seeks to not, it's like they want to kill the person. And they, they punish those of us who love them and stand by them. And that's really the angle that I come from where we have to dispel this shame. There's no reason to be ashamed. We are not the ones to be ashamed. The system needs to be ashamed. People make mistakes. They are not to be continuously convicted and, and, and crucified over and over and over again, nor should we be crucified for loving them. So I, I, I'm going to get off my soapbox now because as you, you can tell, I'm very passionate about this because this is my life. So many of lives, our lives. So many. Yep. So many of our lives. And, and um, I will definitely be promoting this program. Not enough people know about it. I don't know where you've been the past five years, but I'm grateful that I am now connected with you and I will not be disconnecting ever. So Thank you, my God sister. Bless Thank you. you. You are welcome. You are welcome. You know, what she's talking about is so true. I go to these different locations and I give workshops and I talk to crowds. And then as as an artist, sometimes I do, you know, performance art, things like that. And I try to express to them uh, how deeply embedded in the system it is and how the numbers you hear on television don't really apply to everybody you know. So they say, for instance, one in 100 people in the United States have been incarcerated. And that's a pretty big damn number. But we know from personal experience that in certain communities, it's more like more than one in two or one in three, you know, so that one in 100 might be applicable for somebody in the Hamptons or somewhere like that. But in Patterson, New Jersey or the Bronx or Detroit, it's a bigger number. It's a a, a very much it affects African-Americans in particular so much more and people of color, Hispanics, Native Americans, so much more. And uh, because we hear these uh, fluffed out numbers, we kind of miss the idea of just how bad this is concentrated in certain communities. One of the stories that I did want to cover today is what's happening over in Baltimore. They just had an uptick in murders over hey, Mace, in Baltimore. I think Mace, six people. Mace, yes. um, before that, and I'm going to mute everybody just to watch the uh, background any background noise anytime any callers want to chime in any of our listeners out there i know we've had some listeners that's been with us quite a few years we would love to hear how this radio program or any guests we've had on have impacted you because we've had some great abolitionists on this program and and so but before before you say that i also want to point out that I believe we've had an international impact, and at least that's been one of our goals is to grow this 
um, movement to an international level, just like how um, uh, ending apartheid in South Africa was an international movement. Um, this is an international issue because you have, I was just reading the article the other day, Max Geo Group, which we reported controls Australia's entire prison system. And you know who they filling it up with? Aboriginal, Aboriginals, black people, melanated people. And, and Geo Group has 100% occupancy, you know, uh, contracts here in the United States. So this one politician, I think it was a mayor, was saying that we need to stop sending them to jail slash prison uh, for certain offenses and send them to healing centers. And, and I was just thinking about the drug war. You know, you got Jeff Sessions now wanting Congress to revoke 2014 rules it put in place to prohibit the Department of Justice from uh, arresting people at marijuana dispensaries in the states that have legalized it for those purposes. And he wants to overturn that. So, you know, it, it, it's what what that demonstrated to me is, is that there are people out there. See, there's another way. Look, when you violate somebody else's rights, liberty, property, their life, I do believe there should be some punishment and some recompense, some recompense. I'm sorry, I'm mispronouncing that word. Some compensation for what you did to that person and, and to that community. But it should not ever be slavery and human trafficking as a punishment. And we need, especially if we're talking about the drug war with nonviolent, victimless crimes, uh, you're supposed to treat that, like Ron Paul said, as a medical issue, not a prison issue, not a crime issue. This is a medical issue. All right, addiction is a medical issue. And, and, and you know, number one, you're not even trying to stop the drugs uh, being distributed across the land because, as we reported, um, Michelle Lionheart, the former head of the DEA, a holdover from the Bush administration and worked, I think, all the way through the first term of the Obama administration, had a deal with the Sinaloa drug cartel to allow them to smuggle drugs all the way, uh, some route, known, known drug route, from the border, southern border to Chicago. This was in, in the article. And shout out to the, um, well, he's dead now, but I uh, just want to recognize one of those journalists in Mexico that kind of broke this story. Um, um, I don't know if it's him that got killed, but this guy was known for writing these type of stories that recently got assassinated by the drug cartels. But that's the U.S. government with a deal. And all the Sinaloa cartel had to do was feed them information they gathered about their rival gangs shipments. Well, I mean, wow. How is that stopping drugs? How is that solving the problem of the drug war? Seems to me some people want these things to continue because they making money hand over fist in all areas. So, yeah, I just want to point out this is an international issue. Slavery is, in fact, global in violation of the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights. God, you ain't got to convince me, brother. Just today, just today, I got confirmation from uh, people in Ghana, Africa, who said they are going to make arrangements for me to come to Ghana and help them start an abolitionist movement there. Like, just today. And uh, this is not people I reached out to. This is people that heard us and decided to reach out to me. 
So, you know, I've been talking about it for a couple of months and it looks like it's going to happen. So, and we've also reported here on Scotty on how this model of enslavement has been duplicated all over the globe. You mentioned Australia, but also in Turkey now, just recently announced they're going to build 164 new prisons for over 100,000 dissidents. And dissidents is the word that they use. Like, wow, you were just going to start throwing people in jail for profit and leave the rest of your citizens to pay the bill. That's how it works. And the That's same thing applies in Haiti, you know, uh, where the GIA group now is building prisons in Haiti. They are going to make arrangements Okay, uh, Brother Davis, hold, hold up. We're getting some background noise off your Brother Davis and to the other callers. Max, we got two other callers, plus Brother Davis. Well, looks like uh, one Let's of the take callers. our break, then take yeah. our callers, and then I'll talk a little bit about the Baltimore. How's that work for you? That's what I was about to suggest. You read my mind. <laughs> All right, you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio celebrating oh, our fifth anniversary here on the BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. We're going to take a couple of messages, and we'll be right back after this. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, we want to take a couple calls. So, Scotty, who's next on our list? 757, uh, please. Um, thank you, first of all, for calling in to New Abolitionist Radio. Please share with us tonight what's on your mind. Scotty and Max, this is Otis again. <laughs> what's up, Otis? Otis right, is one of our right, biggest Otis. longtime supporters, helping to spread the word Man, and wave I'm gonna tell you, I, I can remember I was calling in to, to sing your praises. Facebook, I've been plastering y'all everywhere I can on Facebook and Twitter. But I called in to, to tell you, Scotty was the one that kind of got me to stop shying away from confronting people because I can remember vividly about five years ago leaving from a little conversation with some guys I grew up with about SROs, school resource officers. There had been an uptick on the Facebook about how they were mistreating kids in school and slamming these girls and all of that. And I was talking about it and people kept telling me, well, they're not police, they're not police. And I happened to see I didn't really know who y'all were until I saw Scotty chime in on a, on one of the threads. And then I followed to this Black Talk Radio Network, and I'm telling you, it's made it so much easier for me to confront people without getting my blood pressure up. When I found <laughs> out Scotty had such a large archive, and then listening to your poetry, I'm telling you, I spread it so often. People come on my message page that asks me all the time do I work for y'all I said no I just spread the message the abolitionist that's something we have in common and I argue with attorneys especially some of these people like uh, Mark Lamont Hill and, and Jonathan Capehart 
some of those people that block me because I stay on them because I get upset with them saying, you got sheepskins and you you talk about being a doctor and you, you've had all of this study and you can't get past 47 words that tell you this is an exception to slavery and that's what's happening to these people. These people aren't going to jail because they want to. This, and, and a perfect example is the Khalif Browder. When I tell them, if you think in this country with over 2 million people in jail that he's the only one that went to jail by accident, your sheepskin is worthless. <laughs> you're not using your brain. But I applaud you guys because your tenacity and the way you drill down with just the facts. I love it, and I'm telling you, I'm like you. I hope your career doesn't last longer than this year. The sooner we get this mess of the 13th turned around, the sooner some of these problems can start being erased in our community because you don't have to worry about slave catchers. I applaud your work. Thank you, Otis, and we appreciate your support over these years, man. Uh, you know, like I said earlier, it's not like we're coming out here with some new product. We're just giving you the truth. Something has been hidden from you for 152 years now. Uh, for some reason, nobody wants to talk about the exception. As you pointed out, Mark Lamont Hill, he did a video about the 13th Amendment, and then he acted <laughs> like he never did a video about the 13th Amendment. I mean, he went right back to reform, and people are holding these two conflicting thoughts in their mind. Hmm, 13th Amendment allows for slavery. What do we do to fix it? I know. Let's reform prisons. <laughs> yeah, let's reform wow. slavery. It makes no sense. Yeah. Otis, did you have something makes- else? And Brother Davis, we got you on deck next. Uh, Otis? Uh, the only other thing I was going to say is I'm still trying to find a way to put some of these politicians and these pundits on blast because I finally found a couple of leads to show why Core Civic and all of these people can make so much money. They are donating tons yeah, and tons of money to the legislators. And I mean, statewide, from state level to local, you name it. Uh, softball teams in localities, they're pushing so much money. And uh, another thing is, they, they figured out how to get around uh, having to deal with large metropolitan cities, they push these jails in places that have already small rural areas and become the dominant employer. You know, they make it almost impossible for people to want to recognize what slavery is because their paycheck depends on it. Mm-hmm. And that's the plan, man. It's This is constructed. The, even the crime-filled areas we live in are constructed to maintain this, to create more criminals so they can keep putting them in prison. That's why they call certain areas million-dollar blocks because they generate so much money for the prison industry that it's over a million dollars in annual revenue just from little blocks, one little area where they're hunting people. Right, right. You know, Um, and that um, has an effect on a community over a course of time. When you start doing that to them, you're not preventing crime now. You're destroying legacies and histories and preventing futures and taking away opportunities and ripping families apart so they have to find some chaotic new way to restructure themselves in order to survive under the circumstances that you purposely put them in. We just I just posted something from our friends at The Real News. 
where they uh, talked about the forgotten history of how the government segregated America on purpose, on purpose, using the banks and things like that. Now, if they do that with the land and the locations of the people, they'll do the same thing with the prison systems and slavery systems and turn it into economic booms. That's what they used to launch some of these damn communities. We'll build a prison in your community. They did that to my community with the Passaic County Jail, and it destroyed my entire freaking family. I mean, ripped us apart. We lost our homes. We lost our property. We lost our wealth. We went in and out of these prisons and jails, and they were hunting us like we were just wild game in the streets over something they called our drug war that they created. All right. Well, Max, we do have other callers, so let's get Brother Davis on. You know how time slips yes, by sir. on us. Yes, sir. Brother Davis. Hey, brothers. Okay, brothers, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Hello? We can hear you, Brother Davis. Okay, listen, man. I don't want people to take lightly what you just said. There are our brothers and sisters in another country that are seriously considering having Brother Scotty or yourself go there in order to help them organize. I would like from the Davis team to pledge $100 to that cause. And anybody else who understands the vitality of what this can mean to open communication about the mutual problem, I welcome you to join me. I just wanted to add that, brothers, and once again, mm. congratulations on the fifth. Thank all you right, so much, right. brother. And to be precise, what the, the letter that they wrote me said is that they can afford to cover my costs uh, to get me there. They'd have to do a fundraiser for Tribal Rain, and they want Scotty Reed to be there, but they don't know how they can get up enough money to make that happen. So maybe, you know, we could do a fundraiser and get the three of us out into Ghana well, to Max, help them do um, what we've been doing here. Um, not to get ahead of ourselves, but I know I have not launched it yet. I'll try to get it done in the next seven days, but... Um, we need to do a fundraiser just to make it to Washington, D.C. And we would like to try to fly Johanan to Charlotte from where he's at in the Midwest. And then so we could pick him up at the airport and then drive to D.C. for the march on August the 19th. So I'll get that fundraiser uh, going. Um, hopefully, you know, with some of the brothers I worked with last night and training them, on how to broadcast digital radio and, and, and you know, all the technical stuff um, that I'll be able to leave because the week that I'm, the days that I'm going to be in Washington, D.C. With, with you and Tribal and all the other abolitionists, you know, there'll be no live programming on Black Talk Radio unless it's one of the other independent stations, but not this particular station because I'm the only digi uh, audio engineer right now. So, but that's where I, my focus is, is making it to D.C. because we're in the belly of the beast. And, and and yes, you know, if funds could be raised to go to South Africa, I would try, but it would be hard for me to do with my duties, you know, day-to-day -day duties with the radio we station understand. and the platform. We understand. And I want to say thank you so much to Brother Davis for uh, making that pledge. Uh, indeed, man, if we're going to get out there, it's gonna, we're going to need some help to make it happen. But uh, it is a global circumstance we're dealing with. And it's so bad in Ghana that the prison there, which was built to house 600, is cur currently housing over 6,000. You know, over 6,000 people in a prison built to hold 600 using the model created by the GEO group and then launched with the Clinton campaign in the 90s. 
it's become a global behemoth to the point where one of its subsidiaries, the Geo Group subsidiary, which is uh, called G4S, is such a giant that it's the largest private employer on the entire continent of Africa. It's listed in Forbes as one of the top three most valuable privately owned corporations on planet Earth. This freaking company didn't even exist till the Clintons. It didn't exist. And now look at it. Man. So, any other call, Scotty? Oh, no, Max. If you would like to move in some of the stories that you highlighted, we can do that. I'm following your lead. Well, let's do it like this, because I do want to get on to Baltimore. We got about 15 minutes for me to do that, but I want to play a clip of something else first, since we were just talking about the GEO group and the influence of new abolitionist radio on the conversation. There's a video that just recently came out from The Color of Change. It's on our planning and on the new abolitionist radio page. Scotty, if you're looking for it on the Facebook page, you'll see it right under the Back the Blue Act of 2017 post. It's a video right under there. It's only two minutes long, but it shows how this conversation has been spreading. So we have this sister on there that's talking about the GEO group on behalf of Color of Change. And yes. I know Color of Change wasn't really talking about this not too long ago. And we was really like Otis said, hitting them with, why won't you talk about this? Why don't right, you right. mention this Right, right. We've been lobbying stuff? them for we, a number of years. So, But this is Miss mm-hmm. Erica Walker uh, speaking. On, uh, oh no, not not Erica Walker, the one from Color of Change. Uh, private prisons made over three point five okay, billion last I thought year. I was just that is it. I thought okay, here it is. I'm sorry, my bad. Private yes, prisons, public menace, posted by Color of Change. Right. So go ahead and play that, and let's hear what they have to say. We know mass incarceration did not happen to our communities by accident. For decades, the private prison industry banks on locking black people up. From the Nixon administration to Reagan and Clinton, politicians fought hard for tough on crime policies like the war on drugs, which led to the increase in the prison population. In 1984, we start to see companies like Geo Group emerge. Since then, companies have lobbied big, spending over $35 million on policies that hurt black people. What did they buy then? Well, in 2015 alone, the private prison industry raked in $3.3 billion. More inmates, more money. Then in 2016, after an extensive study, the Obama administration announced a ban on federal use of private prisons because they were proven to be dangerous. Geo Group and other companies' stock took a deep nosedive. But Geo Group had a plan. The very next day, they donated $225,000 to a Trump pack back a candidate who could be bought. When Trump got elected, Geo Group stocks began to soar. As soon as Jeff Sessions became Attorney General, he reversed the ban on private prisons. Geo Group was the first private prison company to receive a contract. Then like clockwork, he sent a memo to federal prosecutors demanding that they seek the harshest penalties possible, reigniting the 46-year-old war on drugs. We must fight to end the corruption of the private prison industry and its damage on black communities. Help color change. Stop Geo Group. Exactly. 
Right there, Scotty, straight from the new abolitionist radio playbook. <laughs> you know what I mean? The same words we've been saying, the things we've been telling you about with this geo group, which is like this global monster now. Yeah, and uh, yeah. they're seeing the light of it. Unfortunately, they're not, still talking about mass incarceration. It's not just the geo group. It's Core Civic. It's MTC. It's G4S. Again, this is a, a, a international crime against humanity. And so, listen, you as an individual person, you might be listening right now and saying, well, what can I do? I don't, I'm not even a part of an organization. I don't know of any organizations where I am um, that's, that's looking at this issue in the proper way, and that's slavery and human trafficking. So what can I do? Well, you could do something as simple as finding out if the bank that you're using is invested in private prisons like Wells Fargo, they're catching a lot of heat because they were using their customers' uh, information to create credit cards and, and, and other uh, financial items that they didn't authorize and that almost put them out of business and they're still trying to recover. That's Wells Fargo. That's the same Wells Fargo that has been in existence and involved in slavery since the 1800s. I think they were formed in 1850, you know, as a stagecoach company, but also involved in banking and what have you. So, um, so, so that's what you can do as an individual. Make sure that you are not banking with a a bank like Bank of America or Wells Fargo or any of the other banks that are taking your deposits and investing them in private prisons. So that's something you could do. If you are a church-going person, you got a pastor, uh, you got some um, deacons, request to speak to them about where they're putting their deposits as a community, that church. Lots of money come into the black community through, I mean, come into the black church or all churches. Let me not just put it on black people to end slavery, but all churches. How much money they take in and then where are they placing those deposits? This matters because those institutions then use that money to profit from slavery and human trafficking. You know, maybe you're an investor. Maybe you got a 401k. Or do you got Walmart stock? Did you have Microsoft stock? Do you have um, uh, um, uh, what's the name of the coffee company? Starbucks stock. Divest. Don't leave it just on the university students to put pressure on the faculty. You as an individual do what you can do and then you multiply, multiply one times a million. Do you know what kind of impact we could have as individuals acting collectively? So those are just some suggestions, Max, I would like to throw out there tonight because some people think that, oh, I got to go marching all the time or I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and I don't have time for that. I'm working two or three jobs. But just who you banking with matters, and that's very important. I just wanted to stress that. Indeed, that's one of the things that we have done personally as a family is remove our, our whatever little bit of money we had from uh, Wells Fargo and uh, Bank of America. We no longer use them. Uh, other things that we do is we consciously make an effort not to purchase any goods or services that we know come from a company that uses prison slave labor. So, you know, no matter how hungry I am, you are not going to find Max at McDonald's. It's just not going to happen. You know what I mean? Why would I want to do that? Knowing that they 
don't give a damn about us, that they don't have no problem not only stealing jobs from people who need them so desperately on the outside, but also exploiting the free labor of people who have been criminalized and incarcerated probably for no other reason than to give them the opportunity for free labor. Well, um, I did say I wanted to say a few things about uh, what's going on in Baltimore, and I just put a few links so you can keep up with us here on it, uh, on New Abolitionist Radio, and apparently there were six people that were killed in Baltimore, and now police are on a 12-hour shift. But one of the things that we tend to forget is that these environments have causes. They have root causes. When you have such a place where people don't give a damn about human life anymore, and that they're in positions of hopelessness, where poverty is so rampant and so bad that you'll do anything just to be able to keep a roof over your head, there's a a root cause to these. And we did a historical um, study called Ferguson is is America. And of that study, only two cities did I do, and one of them was Baltimore. Normally, we kept it to just the state. But because things were so bad, I felt it necessary to expose what's happening in Baltimore in our Ferguson, America is Ferguson series. And I'd like to read a little bit of that so you can understand what the people of Baltimore have been dealing with now for freaking generations, the jail system. The Baltimore jail system is one of the oldest and largest pretrial facilities in the country, holding around 4,000 people on any day. 91% of the people incarcerated are pretrial, meaning they have not been convicted of any offense. Nine out of 10 people in the jail are African-American. Let me repeat that. Nine out of 10, not one in 100, nine out of 10 people in the jail are African-American. African-Americans make up the largest percentage of the people in the jail, despite being only 64% of the residents. African-Americans comprise 89% of the people held in the jail. Currently, more than 2,900 men are incarcerated in that jail. That's black men. The Baltimore jail is one of the largest municipal jails in the nation. More than 73,000 people go through that central booking and intake every year and 35,000 of them are committed to the Baltimore City Detention Center annually. At the start of 2010, there were more than 3,600 men, women, and children in custody, but the annual average is around 400 people higher at about four grand a day. Baltimore is not only the home of one of the 20 largest jails in the country, but it also has the distinct honor of holding the highest percentage of its population in jail when compared to the other 19 largest jails in the nation. And Baltimore continues to incarcerate its residents at alarming rates, despite falling crime rates in the city. Research does not support the idea that more incarceration equals less crime. It's actually the opposite. While counties and cities that pay for their own detention facilities have a financial incentive to limit the number of people in their jails, Baltimore does not. And residents all over the state of Maryland pay for the often overcrowded facility at about $150 million a year. Currently, Maryland is in the process of planning for two new facilities at the jail, one for kids 14 and older who are being tried as adults, think about that, and the other for women, at an estimated cost to the taxpayers of $280 million. You can read this entire uh, 
a report that we did on Baltimore on New Abolitionist Radio. Think about what you could do with $280 million in Baltimore. Instead of sending people to damn cages, this perpetuates a problem. It keeps them perpetually in poverty. The uh, effects of the what was called the collateral consequences of even after they get out still haunt them for generations. That has an effect, people, and we need to come to a grip come to grips with that type of understanding that we can't keep doing this to people and expect them to escape it. Yeah, and Max I would also like to give a a shout out, and you mentioned him earlier but that's who I know as far as I'm I'm, uh, informed, he coined the term collateral consequences and that's Christopher Irvin, our abolitionist, you know, comrade out of the Baltimore uh, area who actually, you know, did run for city council. So, I mean, even just thinking about Max, he did. Yeah, Um, but Max, to that point right there, five years ago, I had never heard of any candidate running on the abolitionist platform talking about ending slavery and pointing to the 13th Amendment. Within the five years since we've launched this program, how many can we count, Max? How many How many politicians, whether it was running for Congress? It's been about a dozen now. Say that. Yep. It's been about a dozen now, and if you count Bernie Sanders and the Justice Is Not For Sale Act, we can say that we've had an abolitionist run for every uh, level of office in the land. That's true. Within the last five years. And I think the first one was uh, Reverend Ajabu out of Indianapolis. Right. Indianapolis, right? He was running for... Indiana. A, okay, yeah, Indiana. He was running for a state house position. Or was it U.S. Congress? I, I can't remember, Max. He, he was running for state Congress. Yeah, state so he was, he was the first one that I remember. And, and since him... You know, it's just been we find one after the other. So again, this is real movement. This isn't. This is no longer really underground anymore, Max. This movement is well above ground, and it's getting recognition from people who are seeking positions within the federal government and state legislatures. That's why I feel like it's only a matter of time. And our biggest concern, one of our biggest concerns would be, first of all, be wearing of the 13th Amendment exception clause. And what I mean is that there's going to be a hustle tried on us at one point. And we got to watch out for the hustle because the hustle always comes. Like, oh, is that what you guys really want? Well, let's give you this. Don't look behind the curtain. Go ahead and take that. You know, come on now. You know, we just saw today where they were estimating uh, slavery reparations at $14 trillion. And I'm thinking to myself, that is if you only count up to 1865. Stop trying to fool us. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we got to right. watch out for that. And the other thing that we have to uh, be wary of is this could lead to a civil war. It wouldn't be the first time, people. Slavery is something worth dying over and fighting over, and people will do it. And you see these companies that we mentioned, like G4S, has a standing army of 8,000 men. Uh, you know what I mean? We're talking about Blackwater. Blackwater is one of the owners of G4S, or actually G4S owns Blackwater now. And Blackwater is a mercenary group. So these people aren't just going to sit there and give up hundreds of millions, or as we estimate, half a trillion dollars a year in uh, finances just because we are out here fighting against it. 
they're, they're not going to give up that easy. We have to really have a concentrated effort, and we have to use the strongest laws of the land on our side, which would be the Constitution of the United States of America and RICO charges. Well, the final trilogy of that Baltimore message that I was giving out, which could be reflected in cities across the country, is another article. I'm not going to go more too much into it, but it's from the Baltimore Sun. You can find it on our page, where it shows the corruption that is going on within the Baltimore Police Department, where literally Baltimore police officers are facing federal racketeering charges. And uh, these people were shaking down drug dealers and turning around and selling the drugs themselves. They were doing everything that a cop is not supposed to do, and it wasn't one guy. And it wasn't for one day. It was something that was happening over and over and over again. So while we're demonizing and criminalizing an entire community and uh, pushing them into perpetual poverty, there are these devils with uniforms out there exploiting them not only on the outside, but also on the inside. Right, right. And and they're murderers, Scotty. They are freaking murderers. Well, and I say that with all sincerity, based on just the Corinne Gaines event, where they came and raided her damn house and shot her dead in front of her five-year-old son, and then shot her five-year-old son over a failure to appear. Citation: Failure to appear. You didn't show up to our slave trading blocks, also known as courts. So we gonna shoot you dead. I mean, now. We do have some regular segments we need to get to um, uh, before we run yes, out sir. of time. But I have to disagree with something that you said earlier that Harry Beecher, Harriet Beecher Stowe said, who's going to be our abolitionist in profile. And this is not to take away her contribution, take anything away from her contribution. But she was sadly mistaken in her calculation that if only people just knew about the horrors of slavery. Well, guess what? Right now, it is broadcasted across the world in high-definition color. You know, those shows called Prison and where they go on the inside and the shows Cops. That's 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 be, They even making profit off of that. Slavery and human trafficking is now entertainment, and lots of people know about it. And she's also discounting the slavers themselves, they knew all about the horrors of slavery. So some people just evil like that. And even if you explain the evils and you show them evidence of the evils, well, because they're evil, then, you know, they're going to shrug their shoulders and say, well, what did that person do to get thrown into slavery? You know? So we. I'm like you, Scotty. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. And to quote Harriet Tubman about Harriet Beecher Stowe, Harriet Tubman said, I've heard Uncle Tom's cabin read, and I tell you, Mrs. Stowe's pen hasn't begun to paint what slavery is as I have seen it at the far south. I've seen the real thing, and I don't want to see it on no stage or in no theater. And that's from Scenes in the Life of Harriet Tubman. She said that. Wow. Yes. That's why I think it's hard for me. Like people, I still have not watched Underground yet, and I know the importance of that type of propaganda, that type of media, okay? I understand important, but I have a hard time watching. I can't watch it. I didn't watch the new edition of Roots. 
Um, I saw Roots as a child. It was very traumatic. And so, no, I don't watch those. I don't need movies. Again, I am not saying we don't need them. I'm saying I'm speaking for myself. I don't need to watch the dramatic uh, uh, reenactments on film, on television, or, or, or anything for me to know that it exists. I understand that for some people it do, and again, that's why I, I always um, like to acknowledge when you mention the 13th that Netflix had that idea for that film and funded it and, and, and sought out Ava DuVernay as the director. So media is very important, but I didn't know uh, Harriet Tubman had said that, and I'm just trying to say I feel her on that. You don't want to see people abused and, and whatnot, and, and so I think young, it's important for younger people maybe to see it at an appropriate age. But I just certainly feel her on that, man. Well, I think when Harry Beecher Stowe was talking about Americans who had not been exposed to the horrors of slavery, she was talking about the majority white America, particularly those in the northern states, who were using prison convict leasing instead of slavery and called themselves progressives. So, uh, you know, they thought that that was all A-OK. Even the black people there, like uh, Solomon Northrup, thought it was OK until he personally was uh, kidnapped. Well, because well, they wasn't seeing well, that every day in the places that they live, it didn't exist. That's like, you know, if a tree falls in the fir- forest and there's no one to see <laughs> it, did it really fall? You didn't make a sound, you know, so out of sight, out of mind. So if you in your quaint little town and you live in the middle class life or, or whatever privileges that you are enjoying and you're not seeing that on an everyday basis or at all in your community, uh, then, yeah, you wouldn't concern yourself with it. And maybe that can even today describe the apathy of the unaffected communities. Max, you there? Sorry about that, Scotty. I had myself on mute and didn't realize it. I'm there, brother. Uh, we're running down to the towards the end of our show. I want to try to get through our regular segments as quick as possible. One is very important, the first one coming up. Uh, it may take a couple of minutes more than we normally do because it's such a unique case. Um, are we ready, Scotty? Yeah, we want to take our Should last take break, break right quick. There you go. Well, you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio here on our fifth anniversary at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And we're talking about modern-day slavery and human trafficking. Tell a friend to tell a friend. We'll be right back after this. The Black Talk Media Project funds the use of new media technology in efforts to restore independent black voices to the myriad of issues affecting Afro-descendant people all over the planet. If media can control the minds of the masses, as Malcolm X once said, then you must ask yourself, who is in control of the media targeting the masses of black people today? Help bring back independence, self-determination, and respect for black culture in the production of global media by joining the effort to crowdfund new black media for the new millennium. Visit blacktalkmediaproject.org for more information on how you can invest in public black radio for the masses. Peace. 
Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. We're about to get into our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad. And we have had quite a few of them here since we started this segment, uh, displaying different ways that people are getting free. Well, here's a, a new twist. It's a man who spent 35 years of his life behind bars and was never convicted of anything. Uh, this comes from the Marshall Product Project, and it's the story of Jerry Hartfield. When Jerry Hartfield walked out of the Hutchinson, Hutchins State Jail in Dallas on Monday, uh, and this was just recently, as a matter of fact, uh, July, uh, June 12, 2017. So when he walked out on Monday, he wasn't exonerated or released on parole. He wasn't pardoned by the governor. No one else had confessed to the murders for which he was convicted in 1977. No DNA cleared him. No witness recanted. No celebrities pleaded his cause. Hartfield was freed from prison because Texas finally gave up trying to find a valid reason to keep him there. He had waited 35 years between trials without a conviction, a prisoner simply forgotten for decades in the state's massive justice system. He was supposed to get a new trial in 1980 after an appeals court reversed his conviction and death sentence, death sentence, because of a flaw during jury selection. Instead, after a series of misunderstandings and miscommunications by lawyers, judges, and jailers who all thought Hartfield was someone else's problem, he never got the second day in court. If it were not for a fellow prisoner and a public defender's who eventually discovered the mistake, the 61-year-old intellectually disabled man likely would have died alone in his cell, his story as lost as he was. Texas officials first botched Hartfield's case because no one understood the complexities of the state's procedural laws. Then, when the problem was discovered in 2006, a new generation of Texas officials relied on those same complexities to keep Hartfield in prison for another 11 years. In the end, the second delay prompted the court to order Hartfield's release earlier this year. It was the state's very zealousness that ended up freeing Hartfield. In an interview with the Marshall Project, just after he was released, Hartfield said he holds no animosity for the state lawyers whose arguments kept him confined for so long. I'm not bitter. I'm not angry. They were only doing their jobs, and I respect them for that, he said on the phone from the home of a relative just hours after he was released. For the attorneys and advocates who helped free him, he had nothing but gratitude. It is a blessing that God placed them in my life, he said. I am just overwhelmed. And we here at New Abolitionist Radio salute you and say welcome to freedom, Brother Hartfield. Yeah, welcome to freedom, Brother Hartfield, but I respectfully disagree uh, that these people deserve any kind of respect, And but you are correct in that they were doing their job. They were keeping you in slavery. That's their job. That was their job. They, no, listen, I, and I understand it did mention that he is, you know, has some mental disability. So I don't, you know, want to hold anything against him. Please don't take it like that. And also, there is what they call the, um, uh, what do they call it? The P Patricia Hearst um, was a victim of that, where you kind of identify with your captors. I can't think of yeah, it's Stockholm syndrome. Stockholm syndrome that could be going on with him, but these men knew they use complex procedural grounds to keep this man locked up for all these years. So they knew exactly what they were doing. They relied on knowing the system in such a way 
to exact as many victims as possible and keep them quotas filled, keep them prisons filled, keep them bodies on the prison plantation. So, you know, I'm I'm not so I'm not forgiving of that. And then again, you know, also the importance of law. And when you said earlier, a civil war could break out because when you have a, a organized crime of this level going on, this is state sanctioned slavery again because it was never abolished. And when you see cases such abuses like this, you had no reason to hold this man. This is like what? This is Khalif Browder times 30. Man. So, man, I, I'm not so forgiving, but welcome home, brother. Indeed, man. Indeed. You want to do the abolitionist and then I'll do the rebellion or vice versa? Yeah, I'll do um, the abolitionist. As mentioned, uh, we are going to feature Harriet Beecher Stowe as our abolitionist on this day, which is June the 14th. Her Harriet, birthday. It's her birthday. Harriet Beecher Stowe, author yep. of Uncle Tom's Cabin, is born on this day in Litchfield, Connecticut. Uh, she was the seventh child of C Congregationalist Minister Lyman Beecher. Stowe studied at private schools in Connecticut and worked as a teacher in Hartford for five years until her father moved to Cincinnati in 1832. She accompanied him and continued to teach while writing stories and essays. In 1836, she married Calvin Ellis Stowe, with whom she has seven children. She published her first book, Mayflower, in 1843. I wonder what was her take on the Mayflower. Uh, while living in Cincinnati, Stowe encountered fugitive slaves and the Underground Railroad. I'm going to have to bring myself to watch that series, though, Underground. Uh, later... She wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin in reaction to recently tightened fugitive laws. The books sold some 300,000 copies and did much to galvanize public opinion in the North against slavery. So again, that's the power of media that Malcolm X correctly, correctly identified as a valuable tool and weapon. Stowe traveled to England in 1853, where she was welcomed as a literary hero. Along with Ralph Waldo Emerson, she became one of the original contributors to The Atlantic, which launched in November of 1857. In 1863, when Lincoln announced, I think this is incorrect, in 1863, when Lincoln announced I guess it should correctly say the Emancipation Proclamation, which was a gigantic fraud. But um, when he announced that, she danced in the streets, perhaps not reading the text and, and perhaps not knowing he did not free all of the enslaved Africans, only those in the states in rebellion. So perhaps she didn't know that. Or perhaps, you know, uh, hey, we should dance when just one is free. So maybe, you know, she was dancing about that. Uh, is a victory is a victory. So Stowe continued to write throughout her life and she transitioned in 1896. So New Abolitionist Radio salutes Harriet Beecher Stowe. Salute. Indeed, poets all over the place, man. All right. Well, I guess I'll get into our final segment. Happy birthday, uh, Sister Stowe. Our final segment is For Freedom's Sake, A History of Rebellion. Today, we're going to remember the September 9th, 2016 National Prison Slave Labor Work Strike. 
launched on the 45th anniversary of the Attica prison uprising. It encompassed as many as 24 states and tens of thousands of prisoners across the nation and is currently the largest organized slave rebellion by the numbers in U.S. history, right here in our own times. Now, people say that the media did not cover the story, but today I pulled up stories from C, uh, M- NBC, CNN, ABC, Democracy Now. There was a lot of coverage on it. It's just that people didn't seem to give a damn. So let's start by remembering with re- reading the CNN report that came out. Uh, and it's titled Why U.S. Inmates Launched a Nationwide Strike. It's a system that neither benefit, neither benefiting us nor the citizens outside. South Carolina inmate Harold Sasa. Last month, on the 45th anniversary of the infamous Attica prison uprising, tens of thousands of U.S. inmates launched a nationwide protest that continues today. According to the advocates who helped organize the effort, the inmates' grievances are as varied as the states they come from. Pennies for labor in South Carolina, racial discrimination in California, excessive force in Michigan. However, they share an overreach, overarching goal and legalized slavery inside America's correctional facilities. Jails and prisons don't have to be luxurious, luxurious or comfortable for that matter, but the U.S. Supreme Court has said that they're not supposed to be dangerous or dehumanizing. Yet the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, while banning slavery, allows prisoners to work for little to no pay. And what inmates advocates say, I hate when they say that, like, you should know too, CNN, but in any case, and what inmate advocates say crosses the limits of human decency amounting to modern-day servitude. I used to think, nah, that ain't America, that's China and Cuba, South Carolina inmate Harold Sasa told CNN from a contraband phone. It's a system that neither benefiting us or benefiting the citizens outside. Even the American Correctional Association, the country's largest trade organization for prisons and jails this year, passed a resolution urging the repeal of the amendment's exclusion clause, which allows for such labor. It was has also called on prison work programs to aspire to offer wages based on inmate productivity. But many corrections officials say there's nothing punitive about withholding wages from inmates. Often, the funds are used to offset operating costs or pay off inmates' court-ordered restitution while providing them with job training. Since September 9th, the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee of Prisoners' Rights Advocacy Group estimates as many as 50,000 inmates have taken part in the coordinated strikes planned through social media on cell phones and snail mail across nearly two dozen states. That number is impossible to independently verify. Some individual inmates are still protesting, IWOC said. Shout out to IWOC, too, for making this happen. God bless you. Officials in Texas and South Carolina denied to CNN that any protest took place. I was here. It happened, trust me, and the people paid for it afterwards. But criminal justice advocates said the scales make it the largest and most significant inmate strike in American history. The fact that this was happening simultaneously in a number of states suggests the degree of planning and sophistication and community support that we haven't seen in years, said David Fathy, director of the ACLU National Prison Project. So many inmates risking discipline, solitary confinement, 
beatings or extensive sentences to pr protest their conditions speaks to them to the demand for change inside correctional facilities he said cnn inter cnn interviewed three prisoners in three different states along with activists who all believe u.s prison needs drastic reform and that's from cnn and with reading well, that i would man. like to say thank you to all who were involved in this we appreciate your sacrifice and we are glad that you were willing and courageous enough to do it to make history here in the United States with the largest slavery rebellion this nation has ever known. Salute. Salute. Well, I also want to play this clip from Russia today. And I want to give a shout out because Russia has been demonized. And I'm not even getting into the geopolitics aspect of it. But Russia today, the media outlet in RT America, has been thoroughly demonized in the wake of the outcome of the 2016 presidential election. And they've been called a propaganda outlet. And they are. They are less. I'm not naive. I'm not dumb. I'm not stupid. I study media for, uh, you know, that's what I do. That's part of what I do is study the media because I have to know how to utilize this tool in every way possible. And RT Today also was the one out of the Iranian-based uh, network. Um, I forget, State TV or something like that. But um, they have covered this issue as well. They've had activists. Al Jazeera. No, Al Jazeera is out of Qatar. Um, oh, okay. But, but Iranian, uh, the Iranians have their own uh, state television. And I can't tell you if they were sincere or not and that they really care about this or, you know, they're using this as propaganda to strike at the United States. I don't care. The matter is, is that these are, these are real things. They're telling the truth about it. So, you know, and it's getting spread again. They're helping spread the abolitionist message on a global scale. So I just want to acknowledge that, you know, the international media community outside of the United States. So this is a report on what they uh, titled the nation's largest ever prison work strike, which is underway. So this was why it was happening. This is from RT. Fifth anniversary since the Attica State Correctional Facility uprising took place in New York. The uprising has been declared the largest prison buildup in American history, leaving many inmates and prison guards dead. And it left many members of law enforcement with blood on their hands. To date, no one has been accountable for this massacre. RT correspondent Ashley Banks recaptures the uprising and the tragic events that took place 45 years ago. According to the Associated Press, on September 9th, 1971, nearly 1,300 men held at Attica State Correctional Facility exploded in protest. This came on the heels of the 60s, when racial injustices against black Americans was a regular occurrence. Many had taken to the streets to protest the unrelenting police brutality they experienced. These inmates at Attica felt like they needed to do the same. After taking several correctional officers as hostages over the course of four days, the prisoners made 27 demands that included better medical treatment, fair visitation rights, an end to physical brutality, and better sanitation. I spoke with Azuro Crispino, media consultant and co-chair of the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee. She is one of the organizers behind today's nationwide prison strikes and the terrible conditions prisoners face behind bars. Take a listen. 
Inmates in Attica were rioting for some of the same conditions that inmates are striking for today. An end to prison slavery, human dignity, adequate access to medical care, adequate access to wages. In the United States, it's still legal for prisoners to have to be made to work but not be paid for it. So the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, most people believe, ended slavery, but it didn't. It just made it legal for those who have been convicted of a crime to be made to work without pay. On September 13, 1971, the fifth day of the uprising, a thick cloud of gas was dumped into Attica's D-yard. 600 men, troopers, and corrections officers rushed into the facility with guns blazing. In less than 15 minutes, 39 men, prisoners, and guard hostages lay dead or dying. An additional 128 men had been injured. According to media reports, the prisoners who had survived the massacre were then tortured. Troopers and guards burned them, kicked them, beat them, and urinated on them. As if that weren't bad enough, the guards proceeded to strip the prisoners naked while playing countless games of Russian roulette. State officials then informed media outlets that the prisoners were the ones responsible for killing the hostages. However, later it would be revealed that the wounded or deceased had been shot by members of law enforcement. Black Americans then pressured state officials to begin a formal investigation into the Attica massacre. However, the investigation was compromised from the very beginning. State officials knew that state troopers had deliberately failed to record serial numbers of the guns used in the shooting. They also knew that state troopers had removed their badges before entering Attica so that prisoners would not be able to identify them. It's been 45 years since this massacre took place and not one member of law enforcement has been held accountable. Instead of this moment in history being a catapult for change, it has served as yet another example of how members of law enforcement get away with murder. In Washington, Ashley Banks, RT. Get Today away the- with murder. Did you hear the 13th Amendment being discussed on that? Indeed, Scotty. Indeed. Uh, it's- RT America has always been putting out the information. They were the ones that exposed the commercial from the prison industry, asking industries to come and use prison labor because they didn't have babysitter problems or travel problems or days off or Christmas holidays. Most certainly. So I just want to give a shout out to the international media who has been covering this issue. Again, this is a global issue. Uh, modern day slavery 21st century slavery and human trafficking affects everyone uh, on the planet hey Scotty um, we're in the last six minutes of the program I would like to close out the show with a poem from Muhammad Ali if we can find three minutes for it well actually if you you can close us out with that Uh, we have less than that I got like uh, Uh, six minutes. It's in his own voice. Okay. So it's right there at the top of the New Abolitionist radio page on Facebook. It's the Muhammad Ali Attica Prison Riot poem. And uh, Scotty, any last words for the audience on this anniversary? Yes. Thank you for all the support that we've had throughout the years, whether it was financial support to the Black Talk Media Project. Um, whether it was sharing the program and tuning in each and every night and sharing your ideals and your experiences with us and becoming abolitionists uh, along this journey 
with us. So again, as I stated at the beginning of the program, I hope that there's no longer a need for such abolitionist uh, programming next year. But uh, until slavery has been abolished, you can bet if I got breath in my body and I'm able to sit at this desk every week, we will be broadcasting new abolitionist radio. So thank you all for the support over the five years. And I would like to echo his sentiments and say this. Abolition is a reason for a revolution so we can finally know some peace. Ladies and gentlemen, Muhammad Ali, the Attica Prison Riot Poet. Uh-oh, they hitting us up with some ads first, Max, but let me go ahead and uh, skip it. Here we go. You, most of your poems, like the one you spoke a few moments ago, uh, are funny. But you've written one about your own people, I think at the time of the Attica prison riot. It's a serious poem. You have certainly very serious moments, as you've shown us tonight. Could you, before we go, just say that poem for us? Oh, this poem explains uh, the Attica prison. You heard that over here when all the black prisoners were shot and just before they held some white hostages and they said they would cut the throats if they didn't get what they wanted. And the word was, well, if the throats are cut, then shoot and kill everybody. They found out during the autopsy that the throats were not cut. They just shot them for nothing. The trigger happy policeman and that Rockefeller gave word 10 minutes or so if they don't give up, I think it's the way it went, open fire. And one black prisoner came out to speak to the warden. And he said, you have 10 minutes to surrender. What's your reply? Are we going to come in shooting? And the black prisoner came out, poetic poem. This didn't happen, but this is what I wrote. He said, better far from all I see to die fighting to be free. What more fitting in could be? Better surely than in some bed Where in broken health I'm led Lingering until I'm dead Better than with prayers and pleas Are in the clutch of some disease Wasting slowly by degrees Better than of heart attack Are some dose of drug I lack Let me die by being black Better far that I should go standing here against the foe is the sweeter death to know. Better than the bloody stain on some highway where I'm laying, torn by flying glass and pain. Better call in death to come than to die another dumb, muted victim in the slum. Better than of this prison rot if there's any choice I've got. Kill me here on the spot. Better far my fight to wage now while my blood boils with rage, lest it cool with ancient age. Better violent for us to die than to Uncle Tom and try, making peace just to live a lie. Better now that I say my sooth, I'm gonna die demanding truth while I'm still akin to youth. Better now than later on, now that fear of death is gone, never mind another darn. They opened fire on them, but they died telling it like it was. Muhammad Ali. I have another thing to say. 
this is one thing. This is one thing I love and I admire about the Irish people. I studied a little bit of history since I've been here. I found out you've been underdogs for years, hundreds of years, people dominating you and ruling you, and you can identify with this freedom struggle, you understand? But I just have mine on the other side of the water. But we're all fighting for the same cause and idea, but we have different reasons and different approaches. Muhammad Ali, thank you very much. You're welcome. Just lift your eyes up, let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff, porn, and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared if his protection is gone and your enemies are near if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake break and fall if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all rise up no matter if the prize is high in the skies or deep deep in perdition if our leaders are globally despised and always seem to rise through attrition or blatant 